The grain situation could become pretty dire if the planting season is greatly disrupted. And the planting season is coming right up. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on this show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. Hey, Glenn. Well, hello. Hey, what if you could hear inside the industry stuff from a food company executive with a near perfect track record of predictions? I think that's something you would want to listen to. And that's what you're in store for today, episode 175. And uh, we're very, very happy to have another amazing, magnificent guest. But first, Shelby. Have you ever, depending on where you live, thought, I would really like to just walk around outside without a mask on. I would really like to be able to go to my work and not have to worry if this is my last day because I don't want to wear a mask. I'm tired of wearing a mask. Or better yet, I want to sit at home and do my um, virtual work at home and not have to worry about getting a vaccine. Well, you can do that if you move to a red state. I encourage you to think about moving to Montana. And if that's something that you want to think about, I encourage you to check out one of our awesome sponsors, Jared Savick and his lovely wife are sponsors of our show, and they are awesome realtors in all of Montana. You can find them at redstate-realtors.com. And an extra bonus with that, you'd be within the same state as Shelby and Glenn. That's right. We have some other business to discuss. We have a great announcement to make. We're very, very proud of this. Prepping 2.0 is expanding. We are now one of the shows on the Firearms Radio Network. This is absolutely fantastic. You can find out more about the network at firearmsradio.net, firearmsradio.net. They have 23 shows, soon to be 24. And uh, they have this cool feature, one button on their website, firearmsradio.net. You can hit the button and subscribe to all their shows. Um, we're going to spotlight one of the 23 shows in every episode we do. That will be coming up in a moment uh, with the with the spotlighting of the shows. As you can imagine, if this network is called the Firearms Radio Network, it's going to have some good shows. They're not all gun-related, but like Prepping 2.0, they, they relate to the the firearms and prepping lifestyle. Um, This is a lifestyle. It's not just something you learn information on. It's a way of life. And uh, the vast majority of the shows are about guns and reloading and all kinds of cool stuff, current events. Um, So it's a perfect fit. We're very, very happy to be on the Firearms Radio Network. We'll probably be a guest on many of the shows on the Firearms Radio Network. And when we, are a guest on one of those shows, we will post that as a Patreon post. Yet another advantage of being a Patreon is you don't have to search for the shows that uh, Shelby and I are on. You just get an email and something on your app, on your Patreon app that says, hey, if you're interested in hearing Glenn and Shelby on the the AR-15 podcast, for example, um, then you can listen to us there. A second uh, announcement is and we teased this in the last episode we're going to tease it again we're not quite ready to launch it but we wanted to get you guys fired up for it and that is prepping for kids there's going to be a a separate uh, avenue venue if you will for our our show about prepping for kids you're going to really like it if you have kids or grandkids they can listen to these shows and there's not going to be any inappropriate content and it's going to be directed at them. It's fantastic for motivating them and opening up their eyes uh, to be open to prepping. And then our third announcement is the Picnic Palooza in Missoula. You guys have heard about this. July 30th, uh, Missoula, Montana. We're going to have a, a listener appreciation picnic and also a life <laughs> appreciation of picnic. Um, we can celebrate the, the nasty stuff that... Uh, Shelby and I went through in the year 2021 celebrate the fact that we made it out alive and uh, there's well and others too there's quite a few others that that's right made it through and we want to we want to meet them and we pray for them and and a lot of you guys a lot of you guys prayed for us and we want to personally thank you because it's a personal 
thing. It's not something you can thank with an email. You've, uh, we want to we want to hug you because it means that much to us. So Picnic Palooza in Missoula, and uh, there's information about that on. Uh, well, if you're a Patreon, there's a Patreon post all about it with the directions and everything else. Well, let's get into it. All right. So you've heard him before. He's back. Dan, the food industry guy. Welcome, Dan. Hi. Thanks for having me back on. Well, just so you know, Dan is a food industry executive. He's a frequent guest. We first had him on way back when COVID first started, and he predicted many things that we should, as preppers, keep our eyes on. And it really, really helped our listeners be ready and be more strategic in their prepping. And it's always popular when uh, he's on. So, uh, Dan, I want to ask you my first question. What's been going on in the world of food industry since you were last on? It was November 18th of 2021. Yes, yes it was. And uh, let me first say, uh, Glenn, it's awesome to hear your voice. You were um, slightly under the weather with like a cold or something yeah. last time. <laughs> so, so it's good to, good to talk to you again. Uh, and you as well, Shelby, of course. Uh, so Wonderful. basically the changes from last time, um, one of the things that we're seeing is uh, that there have been a lot of earnings that have come out recently from you know, Walmart and Kroger and Cisco and, and those kinds of things. And you learn a lot of things about the companies that you're working with that they won't necessarily tell you outright. Um, so one of the things that that's happened in the industry really just in the last few months is uh, everyone held back their price increases through the holidays. Uh, and sold as much inventory as they possibly could, uh, of course, in the grocery stores. But what, what we're seeing now is that the real price increases have been kicking in in January and February. Um, we've all noticed the price increases uh, over the last couple of years, but they're coming in pretty, pretty, uh, pretty hard right now. A lot of chains, uh, grocery chains, very much don't like that. They're, they push back when a uh, manufacturer tries to raise prices, but they can only do so much at this point, right? So we've seen some products and some categories of products with 30 to 50% increases uh, overnight. And oh, that's not going into margins, that's going into uh, survivability of the company. So a lot of companies got down to virtually no margin whatsoever, you know, two, 3%, which is unsustainable. Uh, and so they're boosting it up to try to get back to anywhere from 10 to 30% for most things. Um, but they're also anticipating inflation is going to keep eating into that. So price increases are a huge, huge thing. Um, quite frankly, I've been a little bit surprised uh, in certain areas where the, the price increases have hit. They were beyond my expectation. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of other pressures coming in that I'm sure we'll cover later on, but that's the big takeaway the last three months. Are these price increases sort of a one-time thing or do you see them continuing? Uh, continuing to accelerate. Uh, yes. In 2022, that, that really remains to be seen. Uh, most companies try to do price increases no more than once a year. A lot of them have already done it uh, more than once in the last 12 months. Um, so one of the reasons for doing one significant increase or two instead of every couple of months is just that uh, your consumers get used to that faster. It's like, okay, well, this is no longer $4. Now it's five and a half. That's a little better than every time they go to the store, it's creeping up is, is the thought anyway. So I would not anticipate uh, once we're kind of through with this round, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate another huge round like that unless things spiral out of control and these pressures continue to accelerate um, that, that, that we're seeing. And I'm going to ask it is, oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. Oh, no, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Um, I'm going to ask a humorous question. Um, do you foresee any of these prices ever coming down? <laughs> that is a humorous question. Yeah. Uh, I highly doubt it, maybe a little bit here and there. Uh, but here's what you're going to see though, is the companies that are, uh, that are struggling are going to have a different perspective on that than the companies that are not. And it also is going to depend on the competitiveness within the category, right? So if you're in a certain category where uh, Walmart carries 
15 of your competitors. That's a very, very competitive category. And you got to be careful on that. Or, you know, if you, if your costs decline in a year from now and everyone else costs decline and they start dropping prices down and you don't, you're the odd man out. And so you're the one that's going to, that's going to take the biggest hit to sales. So those are really the two factors though on that. Nobody's going to want to to decrease prices because it's going to be in the back of everyone's head that this could happen again. We could have uh, significant inflationary pressures and such again. And if that happens, if you can build in extra margin uh, going forward, even if prices decline, then you're better prepared. Um, But that's going to be a company to company uh, consideration based on those factors. Wow. So, so Dan, question for you. I'm going to change directions here a little bit. We talked sure. pretty extensively back in November when, uh, you know, Glenn had the sniffles. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, And I was, I, I listened to that show, I'm just going to say, and, and my ability to talk with, not, well, not coughing, I've, I feel really good about myself. But um, <laughs> wanted to ask you, though, we talked a lot about fuel costs then, and you were very cautionary and very concerned all at the same time and, and, and gave all of our listeners a warning as to what was coming. Mm-hmm. So let's, here we are, you know, a handful of months later, what's going on now and, and where are we at with that? Yeah, I think in November, uh, I think crude oil was in the 70s per barrel, something like that. And uh, now it's up around 100. So pretty, pretty significant jump in the last few months. Um, you know, the, the big banks are saying 120 a barrel is coming, um, almost regardless of the whole Russia-Ukraine situation. They think that's kind of baked in. And so, you know, fuel is, it drives our economy on absolutely every level. So when fuel prices increase uh, dramatically as they have, that's going to lead to the the dramatic increase in all other costs. So fuel is uh, leading to greatly increased input rates. You know, every product that that you touch, uh, there's fuel behind it. And so our inputs are getting really, really expensive. Um, and the acceleration in fuel has, has basically just made it that much worse. That's led to sharper price increases than, than what companies want to do. And it's led to sooner price increases than, than what anyone really wants to do. But with the way fuel is, I mean, my goodness, it's, it's, it's on every level of food production and there's no escaping that. Uh, you can't run a combine on solar, <laughs> right? So uh, you, you've got to have a lot of diesel and to, to run anything. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just when, when fuel goes up 50 cents, everything else goes up a dollar. That's basically how that works. Um, it, it leads to exponential growth in price on everything else. Um, yeah, I mean, we're getting squeezed for sure. We, we uh, truck things all over the country and it's, it's definitely hurting us. One thing a lot of people don't know, and candidly, I didn't know until a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. is that fertilizer requires a lot of fuel. And it's not just the transportation costs, although I'm going to guess mm-hmm. that transportation costs are, in packaging, because everything's made out of plastic, are the main drivers of uh, fuel-induced inflation. But uh, mm-hmm. tell folks about how uh, the price of oil affects the price of fertilizer. And obviously fertilizer is something that's necessary to grow food. Yeah. I mean, fertilizer, one of the inputs for fertilizer for producing it is typically uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas. Um, And so when the prices of LNG go up and they're uh, way up, uh, then that affects just the production cost of fertilizer. Um, Fertilizer is something that uh, has most categories, if you look at the different aspects of fertilizer, are approximately triple what they were two years ago and, and doubled over the last year. And that a lot of that does go back to the LNG costs going up about that much as well. Um, but part of that's uh, part of that's going to be geopolitical as well, I'm afraid, because of uh, so much fertilizer comes from uh, Europe, Russia, Belarus and Ukraine. And so that's in, that's also causing a lot of the uh, fertilizer prices to, to absolutely skyrocket. But yes, uh, LNG is a huge input when it comes to fertilizer, particularly uh, nitrogen and things like that. 
Wow. So tell us about uh, industry supply chain issues. Sure. So the supply chain issues, uh, I, I sound a little bit like a broken record. Uh, it, it, it's all over the place. And at the same time, every now and then you'll run into an oversupply, but that's not normal. It's typically a, an undersupply issue. So as far as the supply chain is concerned, the biggest trend really over the last six months or so is in shortening the supply chain as much as you possibly can. Um, and, and one good example of that is, is we recently bid on a, a contract for a major food service supplier. Uh, this contract was tens of millions of dollars in value. And th- their number one concern was how can you shorten the supply chain? Our supply chain internally, as far as how we produce, uh, but also their supply chain. Um, because our outbound freight is their uh, inbound supply, right? So they, one of the things they wanted us to do was set up and ensure that we had warehouses across the nation uh, in about seven different cities that could uh, maintain a constant supply of product. So they're not shipping it too far so that their supply chain is shortened. Um, and that's, that's a huge focus right now because Every element of a long supply chain, while previously it was cheaper uh, because fuel was cheap and et cetera, et cetera. Now it's, it's more expensive. So you've got to shorten your supply chain. And everyone from the smallest company to the largest, you know, your Walmarts and your Cisco's are, are desperately trying to shorten down that supply chain. Um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the supply chain before, was not only international, right? You, you bring in goods from overseas and create what you're going to create often here in the United States when it comes to the food industry and then you sell it. But a lot of the uh, supply chain issues have, have caused so much additional cost that it's worthwhile to buy more expensive products closer to home um, just because in the end, even if you're paying a dollar for item X that you'd pay 80 cents for. But if you have to bring it in from New York to Texas, it's no longer worth it. It's better to just buy the cheaper thing closer at home. So it's really leading to a reshuffling of of everything in the food industry, Um, just getting that supply chain shorter. Um, That's my macro view anyway (laughs) on that. Uh, Well, this is very interesting. Go into as much detail as you want to, of course. This is very interesting to me because I have for a long time and you probably have too, railed against just-in-time inventory. The idea that, you know, a bag of Doritos needs to come to Western Washington from LA, it just seemed insane to me given the transportation distance. And of course, it penciled out because there are a lot of smart people with calculators like you who figure these things out. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're seeing a bit of a pullback from the extreme version of just-in-time inventory. You mentioned having warehouses in seven cities across the United States. By the way, I'm sure it was easy for you just to wave a wand and get seven warehouses up and running. I'm sure that was easy to do. Um, But it seems like your story uh, or your example about it's actually less expensive to buy more expensive things but have to ship them less. Are we seeing a chipping away at the extreme version of just-in-time inventory that we saw a couple years ago? There's definitely a shift that direction, yes. Um, by the way, uh, that warehouse space is at least, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there is a trend in that direction, but here's the real struggle in that regard. So for I'll give you an example. So right now, Uh, One of the distributors that we use has a monstrous distribution facility, or two of them actually, uh, in the Dallas area. Some of our clients and and retailers uh, sell our product in New Orleans, which is a 10-hour drive, something like that, nine, 10 hours. And the nearest distribution point to New Orleans is Dallas. So it's a a 10-hour drive one way getting product to New Orleans. And that used to be fine. It's not okay anymore. So on the one hand, yes, we can no longer uh, reasonably afford to have such a, a long, uh, long tail on the supply chain. Now, the other side of that coin 
is it's also a lot cheaper to consolidate, right? It's cheaper, not, not counting fuel costs and freight, it's, it's cheaper to consolidate. So the real struggle right now is do you consolidate down, save on labor costs, right? Save on costs of structures and buildings and power and electricity and all that that comes with it, maintenance and all that. That's cheaper to consolidate down, but it's a lot more expensive when it comes to freight. And so that's the real struggle right now. So some companies are going the consolidation route and they're saying we anticipate that inflationary pressures are going to continue, but we think fuel is going to go down. And others are saying, no, we, we think this is the new normal. We think that you know, inflationary pressures are going to continue and fuel is going to continue to rise over the long term or at least stay at current levels and not come back down. And so those are the companies that are shortening their supply chain. But that's a huge struggle within the industry of, of which route do you take? And it just comes down to what, what do you believe about the future? Do you believe that fuel's coming down or not? And what do you believe about infl- supply side inflation? Um, so you're, you're really seeing a split within the industry. Some are going one way and some are going the other. We are shortening our supply chain. That's what we're doing. Um, we think that's, that's the side that we fall on is the side that we don't need to consolidate. We need to shorten our supply chain. Well, in shorter supply chains would be better from a prepping standpoint. I mean, if there's fewer, yes. fewer flaws, fewer miles of highway that could be shut down and prevent the flow of goods. And of course, this is not a panacea by any means. We still have really long supply lines. You mentioned 10 hours from Dallas to New Orleans. And mm-hmm. so, but it seems like things are getting a little bit more rational and sane and not, you know, as I say, a bag of Doritos needing to come from LA. Um, Yeah. We, we just, it is, is, but at the same time, it had to hit these companies in the pocketbook first. (laughs) They were never going to go that route because, you know, if you can save two cents per product by having a long supply chain and add that to your margin, most companies are going to do that. So we, we had to have this situation first to then have a late response, in my opinion, to shorten wow. the supply chain. Wow. I, I have so many more questions about this, but real quick, believe it or not, we have to kind of wrap up segment one. But before we do that, I want to give a lot of recognition to our sponsors um, and you can find all of them Um, they're listed on the friends and affiliates page of our website which is prepping2-0.com you over there you can find us law shield um, as well as katie armor katie is c-a-t-i armor backwards home magazine my favorite repository of all things prepping and homesteading my kind cbd wonderful folks over there that have one of the best i think the best cbd products out there numana foods talk about getting your your preps in order so that you can avoid all of this confusion and craziness in this uh, supply chain minutemen coffee cheers to you if you're drinking with me right now tac niner deals specifically in tactical gloves emp shield great folks over there I'm going to ask some more questions of Dan, the food industry guy, regarding supply chain issues on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. You are only as safe as your gear. Rely on TAC Niner, premium tactical survival gear. Tac Niner, spelled T-A-C, the digit 9, E-R.com. Tactical gloves, lights, poles, trenching, and more. See the full line at TacNiner.com. Gear up and save money when you mention Glenn and Shelby. Use the code TACNINERP20 at checkout and save 20% on tactical gloves. Tac Niner, premium, high-performance survival gear that is built to last. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. 
Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love new mana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Abe Lincoln here. In 1773, patriots broke the chains of British tyranny by throwing tea into Boston Harbor. On that day, Americans began drinking coffee. We celebrate that event daily here at Minutemen Coffee. All men are created equal. <laughs> coffee is not. Minutemen Coffee is roasted to perfection in small batches. Old, smooth, and never bitter. Shipped to you fresh daily. Whole bean, ground, or our patented pods. www.minutemencoffee.com Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We are hearing from our guest, Dan, the food industry guy, about what's going on in the food industry and what to expect in the coming months. But first, let's go back to what I referred to earlier. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a place where you don't have mandates on you, where you can't um, walk out into public or walk into a public place like a library or grocery store without a mask? without having to show proof of vaccine. Those places exist. You know about Montana, but do you know about Tennessee? Great place to live. If you would like to consider moving to a red state and Tennessee is on your list, I encourage you to check out Lizzie McDaniel. You can find her at redstate-realtors.com. She will tell you why Tennessee is a great place and she'll help get you hooked up with a great home or homestead so that you can live in freedom. So, Dan, I have some more questions for you. So my kid comes home from school and he tells me, I got a hard-boiled egg and a bag of Cheez-Its for breakfast. Dan, what's going on with the food industry, specifically for public institutions like schools? Sure, yeah, I, I don't doubt that story one bit, um, unfortunately. So school districts, really at, at all levels, uh, typically what you find is there are budgetary constraints uh, when it comes to things like the, the cafeteria and food in general. Um, so the specific distributors that typically provide food to school systems and, and universities and such, that's all they do. And um, knowing the budget constraints that, that most of these districts are under, uh, or here in Texas, you know, hey, we've got to build a, a $10 million football stadium for the high school. Uh, based <laughs> on a true story <laughs> that's just a necessity oh yeah definitely uh so but the budgets generally don't work out to prioritize things like food and so it's a race to the bottom when it comes to pricing uh it's it's literally 
uh, how many cents per calorie can we can we purchase that will at least keep these kids fit, uh, fed? Typically, that's what we see. It's it's really it's really sad, but at the same time, we've gotten to the point where we do not bid on any business that is tied to education in any way. And the reason for that is because my company is more, um, we're not on the budget side of things, we're on the quality side of things. Uh, and so we, we have no shot at, at winning any bids for any school district anywhere in the country, because it's simply that they're not interested in quality. They're simply not interested in quality. And that's, that's nationwide. Um, some of the rare exceptions would be some very, very wealthy school districts um, are a little different, but by and large, it's a race to the bottom for cost. And so when there are shortages uh, all over the place, like there are right now, and when there's inflation concerns and there are supply chain constraints, what are companies going to do? They're gonna deprioritize the lower margin areas. And that's always going to be school systems. Um, companies are going to look at what they have. They have a limited supply and margins are already getting squeezed so badly on the manufacturing side that, that most companies just simply have to say, you know what, we, we can't do this uh, race to the bottom thing anymore. We have to prioritize business that will keep our company afloat. And that is absolutely not school districts. You mentioned when you first came on the show back in golly, 2019, I want to say, um, maybe 2020, you, you, like you blew my mind with um, a figure. And that was, speaking of school districts, that about 30% of the food market was in, in food services. Uh, you mentioned, you know, cafeterias of various kinds, restaurants, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. In other words, not grocery stores. And um, tell us about what effect all of these forces out there, you know, we've talked about industry supply chains and fuel and all of that. Are, mm -hmm. What's the effect on institutions? Because if it's 30% of the food we eat, and that figure may have gone down since we spoke last, <laughs> yeah. um, it seems to be a big, a big source of food for a lot of people. What, what, what effects are we seeing on, on industry or institutional food services? Yeah. So that, uh, that figure back then is, is kind of broadly the, the food away from home category is, is kind of what it's become uh, to be called. And, and that absolutely tanked just the bottom fell out of that when COVID started uh, firing off in 2020 uh, food away from home went down to less than 10%. Uh, now it, it's kind of recovered. But uh, late 2021, it had gotten back up pretty close to the level that it was pre-COVID. But there's, uh, I'm anticipating, and I think most people are too, a slow bleed in that category because that category also includes restaurants, you know, food service restaurants, things like that. And as prices continue to go up, more people are going to prioritize, reprioritize uh, food eaten at home because it is going to be cheaper, right? Why, why buy a breakfast plate for 11 bucks when you can make the same breakfast plate at home for five? And that's so that's probably going to start declining again. As far as the more directly to your question, um, a lot of companies that specifically supplied food service and the food away from home category went out of business um, late 2020, you know, really through mid 2021, uh, particularly if they were regional suppliers in a region that's uh, overwhelmingly blue and had a lot of shutdowns. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the unnecessarily Northeast. so, yes. Right, yes, absolutely. But, you know, the West Coast, the Northeast, a lot of those companies went out of business. Um, and we talked about that extensively, just what that supply chain looks like and why you can't pivot to retail uh, in, in a previous show. So I won't rehash all that, but a lot of those companies went out of business. And so now what you're seeing is that now that uh, in 2021, when food away from home started running up again, now it's the opposite problem. Now it's there aren't enough companies that supply in certain areas to even bid on contracts. 
So it's, it's, it is a mess. It really is. It's, it's a lot easier to pivot from retail to food service than it is from food service to retail, which is virtually impossible um, on any significant time frame. So that's what we're kind of seeing right now is the companies that are still alive in food service are typically your large national level companies that could kind of survive the storm for a while, uh, draw down those lines of credit, <laughs> things like that. And they're still there, but the selection in food service uh, from a, a vendor standpoint is greatly decreased and it's continuing to decrease because again, food service margins on my side of the world, on the manufacturing and production side, are much lower than margins selling into retail. I can sell mm -hmm. something into retail, make a 30% margin, the grocery store makes a 30% margin, and it sells for five bucks on the shelf. But food service, I have to go down to like a five or seven or 10% margin. The food service is, um, distributor is gonna add at least that much more. And then it goes to a restaurant, for example, and the restaurant's going to mark everything up 50%. So yeah, wow. it, it's a tough game. Food service is a tough game. And these inflationary and supply pressures hit food service harder than they do retail. Well, let me ask you this question. And you, you just led me right into it, Dan. Um, big things are happening in the trucking industry right now. Mm -hmm. um, you've talked about it before and they've changed quite a bit since the last time we spoke. Um, we have a big convoy of trucks going across the United States right now as we record this. And we have a lot of ticked off truckers <laughs> and um, yes. that industry is, is ripe for uh, argument and rife and, dis, you know, dissent. So what are mm -hmm. your thoughts on that? I know it's, it's, it might seem premature to ask that, but what are your thoughts? And I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned, um, I haven't I haven't been able to get good figures on exactly how big that's going to be, how many truckers intend to participate. Um, you can find information and you can talk to the bigger trucking companies typically they're not letting their employees do this kind of thing so it's really just owner operators um, so it's really tough to know exactly how big it's going to be i would say this though that in canada it was about three percent of their truckers uh, that participated and there there were some supply chain disruptions for sure but not very many and in the u.s it's not going to be nearly that number um, 3 million truckers in the U S is a lot different, or excuse me, 3% in the U S is a lot different than 3% in Canada because we have so many more people and so many more truckers. So I, I think that if you're in a city like Washington, DC, that's targeted and they're going to clog the streets and things like that, then yeah, you might, you might have some, some disruption overall. I, I'm not anticipating that this is going to lead to too much just because it's going to be a fraction of 1% most likely of truckers that participate. So maybe some slight delays in shipping, but there are so many delays in shipping right now. And there's so many issues with the, with freight and logistics that on my end, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to know if this is just my typical delays that I have to deal with or if it's directly related to the, to the trucker strike. So, uh, you know, it's hard to make a prediction there. You mentioned delays and uh, disruptions in trucking. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other reasons for that? Um, and I'll throw out one example of what I'm talking about. I understand, and I could be wrong, that there's a new requirement for commercial drivers licensing right now. It's basically harder to become a trucker to get a CDL, as they're called. Mm -hmm. What are some other things like the, the uh, more difficult CDL requirements now that are uh, tamping down on the availability mm -hmm. of, of trucking? Yeah, I know that there are increased requirements uh, because my logistics manager has been rather upset about that for a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I can't spell it out for you, to be honest with you. Um, I, I have a logistics manager that handles that. So I'm a little more big picture on that, that yeah, it's, it is harder, but I can't exactly quote for you what those new requirements are. Fair enough. So I, 
Sorry about that. I, no, I don't want to mis- mislead anybody. So That's quite all right. Well, we were talking about the effects of a U.S. trucking uh, mm-hmm. convoy. Canada produces a lot of food. What have mm-hmm. the effects, if any, been um, from a restriction in supply of Canadian food coming to the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, there, there were some for sure. Uh, the whole the trucking issue in Canada is virtually over at this point. Um, so there, there was definitely some, but again, most of these are owner operators, right? So they contract out, um, your major companies are not going to let their employees participate in something like that with their company logo emblazoned down the side. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what we typically saw was that the, the major lines of, of exports, not coming through, uh, Ottawa, of course, but coming through other parts of, of Canada weren't terribly disrupted, but what it was, was the companies and the distributors that rely on contracting out the owner operators, they, there was some disruption there. And it it was kind of varied. A lot of it just depended on who had freight scheduled at the wrong time, really is what that was. Um, So moderate disruptions, I I saw, I just saw this on the news, but uh, I think some of the uh, plants in uh, Detroit making vehicles shut down their plants for a while. So apparently there's a lot of auto parts made up there that were disrupted, but that's just what I saw in the news. So it wasn't a huge deal. Um, it did lead to some minor delays, but we don't actually import any, anything from Canada. Um, but a lot of those in our industry do, and they were certainly seeing some delays and they were eating up their, their internal inventory a little bit more than they wanted to. Um, so moderate delays, minor delays is what I would say. Well, speaking of the effects from foreign countries, what mm-hmm. effects, if any, are you anticipating because of the Ukraine situation? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. <laughs> uh, so, Ukraine, a lot of that's going to depend on how long it lasts. To be honest with you, so some general stats for you: um, Russia it actually introduced a two-month ban on ammonium nitrate exports back. Uh, beginning February, um, and they produce about sixty percent of the world's supply of ammonium nitrate that goes, which is used in fertilizer. Yes, yes, that's a primary component of many fertilizers, um, and so that ban was huge because I've already talked about how fertilizer prices have been spiking. Right. Well, this ban was a big deal, and looking back now that they've gone into Ukraine, it appears that Russia did that uh, to make sure that it would be more self-sufficient when it comes to the growing season and the event that it essentially gets cut off from the world by sanctions. So uh, not a fan of Russia, but that was a smart move for them. But that's going to continue to drive fertilizer prices up. Um, You know, Ukraine produces a lot of fertilizer. Um, Belarus produces tons of um, potash, which is a huge critical element of fertilizer. Canada is number one in, in potash, but number two and number three are, are Belarus and Russia. <laughs> and China's number four, by the way. Yeah. So all these critical elements in fertilizer is, is one of the things that you got to watch really closely with this conflict because those are not going to be coming out into the rest of the world. Um, the other thing is that uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, produce a huge amount of wheat and barley and soy and corn. Uh, you know, a third of global wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine, a third of global barley and nearly that of corn and of soybeans and all different types of oil and such too. So if this continues to escalate, or even if it just remains, you know, kind of on the state that it is now, there's not going to be any imports coming out. Um, Even other countries like Kazakhstan and Romania and others, they ship grain from ports in the Black Sea and they produce huge amounts of grain. And uh, Black Sea is not a great place to be right now. <laughs> so, uh, very dangerous place to be. And so the grain situation is could become pretty dire uh, if the planting season is, is greatly disrupted. And the planting season is coming right up. Um, and, and so that's a huge concern for me. And not even mentioning the oil and gas situation from Russia, which as of this recording, we're not sanctioning oil and gas um, coming out of Russia. So we'll see how that goes. But 
my goodness, fertilizer and grain. That's uh, those are two huge, huge things. Um, so, yeah. So to add to the gloom and doom, Dan, here's the next question, because people are asking about this. Mm-hmm. What if things get um, crazy with China and, and, our, and our listeners, we know from what they've told us that this is a concern that China will make a move on Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, about you, but I see a lot of made in China on things mm-hmm. that I buy every day. Not that I want to, but it's when it's the only choice on the shelf. Mm-hmm. What it what could that do to all of this as well? And what and and honestly, in all of this, thinking about as preppers, what can we do now? Right. Because in my mind, we should be thinking about the worst case scenario. Because worst case scenarios seem to be what's happening these days, anyway. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario would certainly be a, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan on top of everything else. That would be pretty horrific. Um, I, I don't know that that's imminent or anything like that. Like, you know, we saw Russia build up for a year on the border of Ukraine before going in. And I don't think that China's doing that right now. But let's play worst case scenario. So worst case scenario, China goes into Taiwan. I take a similar approach to Taiwan as I do to Ukraine. And I think that the Western world is not going to be too interested in going nuclear over a non-NATO country, as important as Taiwan is. Um, I think that the U.S. would do more for Taiwan than Ukraine. But let's be honest, Taiwan is right next door to China and we're across the ocean. (laughs) So if if China, you know, determined that they were going to go in there's not a ton that we could immediately do. And that would lead, that would make the South China Sea and that entire area extraordinarily unstable for shipping. And we, we're already seeing some issues with shipping, you know, to the various straits there in the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea that are going to lead to issues with grain supply and fertilizer coming out. But those straits in the Black Sea uh, move nothing compared to the amount of freight that moves through those areas uh, that would be uh, war zones in the South China Sea, et cetera. So that would be, I mean, it would be, it would be COVID disruptions, you know, initial COVID disruptions where you couldn't find a, a freezer, you know, for states away kind of thing. It would be that times five or so probably just because of how much moves through there. That's, that's a third of global freight moves through that general vicinity. Um, so if, if China and Taiwan kick off, uh, food is going to be a concern for sure. Uh, we don't import as much food from China, I think, as people think, but we import everything else that goes into producing food, equipment and packaging and all kinds of things like that. So it, that would be a huge, huge problem. Well, we talked earlier at segment one about inflation and prices, mm-hmm. and uh, thank you for that fantastic explanation of that sort of the story behind the price tags um mm-hmm. i think listeners really appreciate knowing the why not just the what so sure. thank you for that but uh, a related question to price increases and it's a separate category of problem basically and that is availability do you think mm-hmm. that availability will be affected separate and apart from price increases so availability of Food in grocery store? Or are you talking more like the inputs? Um, food in in grocery stores. I mean, what okay. what consumers? I mean, are folks going to find empty shelves, or conceivably, given that you know about thirty percent of food comes from institutions now, um, are they mm-hmm. going to go to the drive through and there are no more Big Macs? I mean, you know, basically uh, yeah. less availability of food, no matter where you get it from. Yeah. I, so, yes and no. Um, you know, my family took a long road trip through the, the mountain West over the summer and there were signs at a lot of fast food restaurants, even then, Hey, we don't have this. We don't have that. I drove to a Chick-fil-A a week ago and they didn't have any coffee at all. Um, so those kinds of things, uh, I hate the term new normal, but that's the new normal. <laughs> you just kind of have to get used to that. But what's happening is as the, as the supply decrease, excuse me, as the supply continues to, to have issues, it's balancing out with demand. And 
on a more macro scale, that's one of the reasons the Fed is going to try to raise rates to kill off inflation is because they can't impact supply, but they can impact demand. And so as prices rise, demand is going to decline because you're simply not going to pay $15 for that Big Mac, unless you're just a really big fan of it. Um, I suppose those people exist, <laughs> uh, but demand is going to die. That's what, that's what we're looking at as inflationary pressures continue to go up. And the balance is that when demand dies, prices come down because they have to until they at least hit that inflationary wall. So in a word, yes, I think that there are going to continue to be lots of different pressures, but that's more likely at this point in time to come in the form of prices no one can afford than it is massive empty shelves. Presuming worst case scenario, Russia, Ukraine doesn't go on for months and months and China doesn't make any major moves, that kind of thing uh, in the world as it is now. But of course, any kind of escalation where, hey, guess what? The world's not getting any grain out of that part of the world or any fertilizer. Then you've got monstrously skyrocketing prices that's outside of any model that I think anyone has. I hope that answers wow. your question. Yes, very thoroughly. We have about a minute and a half before we end this segment and go into the after show. I wanted to let folks know what they can look forward to in the after show, which is available to Patreon supporters. And we're going to ask Dan what preppers can do to lessen the impacts of all of this. But we'll save that for the after show. We have to have something cool for the after show. Exactly. We always do. We, we always do. do. We always like to give our guests a chance to tell us how to get a hold of them. I'll, I'll say this for Dan. If you want to get a hold of Dan, reach out to Glenn or myself and we'll make that connection happen. As you can imagine, Dan likes to keep his identity and his contact information not public. So if you need to reach him, reach out to one of us first. I was just going to thank Dan. Um, mm -hmm. One of the reasons, I'm going to be honest, I know this sounds immodest. One of the reasons Prepping 2.0 is so awesome, a big part of it is the guests we have. We have amazing guests. We, we are able to tap people like Dan. And um, I really want to thank you, Dan, because it's guests like you, and you're really in the spotlight because I can tell you our download numbers go through the roof when you're on the show. And uh, awesome. so it's, it's guests like you that make this show so good. You've, you've told listeners a bunch of information that they didn't have. And uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this segment and go in the after show, but Shelby has something to say. Of course, folks, don't forget from Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.